What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. Our guest today is Megan Louts. She is a master's level dietitian and focuses her attention solely on public safety, specifically firefighters. So we talk a lot about her work with firefighters, her focus on firefighters, and how she can optimize nutrition for what we do on the fire ground and in the firehouse, and a lot more. So please enjoy. So Megan, thank you so much for, for coming on the Fireground Fitness Podcast and sharing some of your time and your talents with us. And um, I want to talk to you about what you do in the fire service because I think what you do uh, for firefighters is pretty unique in the nutrition uh, and the nutrition nutrition lane. Uh, but I want to talk about how we kind of arrived here. What brought you into the? What brought you close to the fire service with what you're doing as a as a registered dietitian and and um, you know what was your academic process and and you know, where'd you grow up and how'd you arrive here? Sure. So that's a great question. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, well, so I had no experience with the fire service. You know, I, I, I didn't know any firefighters growing up. You know, it wasn't in my family or anything like that. I just stumbled upon a wellness position for an occupational medical clinic uh, originally in Montgomery County, Maryland. And I was supposed to work with fire, police, corrections, bus operators, warehouse workers, like the whole gamut. And I just fell in love with fire. Um, I have a master's degree in sports nutrition. I always thought, you know, hey, I might work with athletes sometime in my career and um, had prior experience in corporate wellness. And really firefighting, especially from the OCH health route, it's kind of that combination of sports nutrition and wellness, maybe a little bit of weight management. And those are all the things that I really enjoy um, or the space of dietetics that I really enjoy. So I kind of got lucky, just ended up in the right space at the right time and, and ended up falling in love with fire. Um, so so that's kind of how I've started. I've been with uh, Fairfax Fire since June of last year, so about a year. And I was with Montgomery County Fire for about five years prior to that. So uh a little over five years of experience specializing and really tailoring nutrition down to firefighters specifically. Wow. So is there anybody, so to be specifically, to be very clear here, you do this mm-hmm. for your organization you, and, and what exactly is it that you do? Would you say? That's a great question because <laughs> no one ever knows what to do with a dietitian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, I think we've noticed that, especially in, in larger organizations, that uh, strength and conditioning has been exploding in the fire service, police, uh, first res- responders in general, and even military. It, that tactical strength and conditioning component has exploded over the past 10 years. Yeah. But the nutrition piece is just not really there. Um, it's just especially for dietitians, like I think everybody knows a strength coach can do a degree of nutrition, uh, Ahmed physician, same thing. But the challenge can be that they're very uh, keen to fad diets and those kinds of things. Um, they don't look at the whole picture of shift work. Like it's great if we want to give a nine to fiver certain information, but we can't give the nine to fiver the same information nutrition wise as a firefighter, whether they're on light duty or if they're, you know, full time shift work. Right. So, you know, nutrition in the fire service, it's it's a really exciting area right now that's kind of slowly creeping in. Um, I don't know of many other full-time civilian dietitian jobs for the fire service throughout the country. I think there's a handful maybe through O2X and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's it's really a new area that we haven't really – that is definitely needed but haven't seen a huge explosion yet and i think yeah. we're coming to that well, so let's go back for a second and talk about what you were just, you just hit on something that i think is interesting which is the this idea of the fad diet right and we see it mm-hmm. it affects every aspect of our life right and, and in the fire service that is uh, you're surrounded by family and friends and so everyone shows up with their own idea of what is healthy what is good healthy nutrition right. and the other factor when we look at the variables that affect us as firefighters and I would say police officers and military as well. It's just, it's, we get into, these are long careers and we start off when we're yeah. 20 and we come in with, um, whatever background we have, you know, from high school or college athletics, et cetera, or not. Right. And 
we have this base set and we think this is what's going to sustain us through our career, but our bodies change, the demands on our bodies change, everything changes over the time. Sure. Um, and so there's all these outside influences. So is that what you're trying to kind of normalize and regulate is trying to get your hands wrapped around that? Yeah. So what I've been doing the past five years is really because I had no experience with fire rescue, right? Is really digging in to understand as much as possible as I can as a civilian as to exactly what you guys do in every area that I can specialize it into. So that means recruits, CPAT, um, general firefighters at stations, firefighters on light duty, female firefighters who just had a baby, trot dr- or technical rescue drills, swift water drills. All of these areas mm. have very specific hydration requirements, nutrition requirements, cal- caloric requirements. And there's also the emotional and social aspects of all those areas as well. And those things change over the course of a 20, 25-year career. Uh, How you eat as an 18-year-old recruit is going to be completely different as a 45-year-old battalion chief stuck in a buggy most of the day. Right. Um, Uh, You know, so... (laughs) I'm really glad you brought that up because I was going to say you missed a category, which is the the, the fat old chief who sits behind a desk or in the buggy, as you said. Um, Important category. Don't forget those guys. (laughs) Yeah, don't, I, I can't, I can never, trust me, I can never forget the Chiefs, they won't let me. We won't let you. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so it just changes over the course of that career, and we have to right. make adjustments and really tailor it down as, as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah, so what are you finding, so where are you finding your biggest challenges as you're trying to unpack that? You know, I ha- so it's it's kind of funny. I haven't had a ton of challenges, except for sometimes, like, maybe I get a little bit too comfortable. Um, you know, I'm not a firefighter, so th- so that can be challenging to to remember when you're ingrained in it and, you know, they're 24 hours, or not 24 hours, but 40 hours or more a week. But um, one of the bigger challenges, I think, for most health professionals coming into this area is, one, remembering they don't sleep. Two, remembering post-traumatic stress is a huge factor in diet and exercise. And three, forgetting that people change over the course of the career. What works in one season doesn't work in another. So, you know, a lot of times firefighters have this big wall up against health professionals because they're like, I've tried this a hundred different times. I've gone to the health professionals. I just spend half of the session explaining what I do for a living. And then they give me something that just doesn't doesn't make sense or doesn't work or they don't even realize it doesn't make sense or doesn't work because they're like oh i just have to suck it up i just have to deal with it because that's what firefighters do we suck it up and we deal with it and we try to make a square fit into a circle and it just doesn't and that doesn't work and then they get frustrated and they fall back off again right so you know it it is a challenge um because a lot of professional or firefighters will see our as health professionals and kind of just already have that wall up so for me, it's coming in very casually, you know, and and just saying, hey, I'm here to learn. Tell me more about what you do. And then somehow I usually sneak and weave nutrition into whatever I'm doing that day. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that the the more you understand the, you know, you talked about some, some you know, the different positions and the different kind of phases of a career and, and the different mm-hmm. demands that that puts on. So, so you're beginning to understand the reality of what's happening in the fire service. Um, you know, when you talk about sleep deprivation and PTSD, these are real things that, that we pay a lot of attention to or try to, or sometimes we ignore it completely, but they affect us regardless whether we're paying attention or not. And so uh, I love the fact that you're, you're aligning yourself with the, the culture and understanding what is the, the variables that affect the nutritional component. Cause people come in with these fad diets and come in with these magical formulas and go, this is how you should be eating blood type or, right. you know, whatever. And, and you're like, Oh, okay, I'll try that because I'm trying, I need to find something to latch right. onto that will help me be healthy and successful as I grow, as my body is evolving and changing. And I still want to be functional in my, in my life and in my work capacity, et cetera. Right. So what do you, so, so let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about some of these different phases. So, um, you know, what does it, uh, you know, what are you finding to be the demands that a younger firefighter is facing and in their nutritional needs? Sure. So that younger firefighter category kind of covers, it, it happens pretty quickly first in the career, right? So your CPAT, you know, a recruit and then a probie. 
for the most part during that phase or those phases, we see their fitness levels go up dramatically because they're doing PT and then they get into fire suppression. They're wearing gear all the time. And not only are they doing PT in the morning, but they're also pretty much working out to a degree the rest of the day. Yeah, you're moving so, equipment, you're lifting stuff, you're putting on your gear, taking your gear off, you're all over the place. Exactly. Yeah. And and you're exhausted. So during that, and we, and we see usually recruits like start off between 18 and 30, some, some I've had 45-year-old recruit, a 40-year-old recruit, 45-year-old yeah. recruit. Uh, it's just different. <laughs> that's, that's a special challenge. <laughs> yeah. We've had one as old as 60, and it's Goodness. just like, okay. Um because you're, you know, there's the recovery, recovery is time, right? And yeah. you don't have time in right. an academy. And mm-hmm. so we see the fitness level go up significantly. We see the caloric requirements go up significantly during those three phases. Um, but what we also don't think about too, is they don't have the time to eat. So mm. like you only have certain times that you're allowed to eat in an academy. And if your class is not doing very well and getting pummeled, you know, physically punished all the time, you might have even less time for snacks and things like that. So not only do we see the calorie intake or the caloric requirements go up, but the calorie intake kind of stays the same or sometimes even goes down. So we see a drastic change in weight or body fat percentage during academies typically. Mm-hmm. So the focus from a nutrition standpoint, if you are in C are doing CPAT, uh, you're, uh, uh, recruit or a rookie or a probie is we're trying to get you to eat as much as possible whenever you can. And, you know, really focus on that hydration piece as well as we transition into the fire suppression. Right. Oh, let Uh, me go. Let me get a point of clarification. When you say CPAT, are you talking about like kind of pre-hire preparatory phase? Physical ability test. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure I was tracking with you. Sure. So we're trying to maintain caloric intake so that we're not losing ground right in our, mm-hmm. our muscle mass and stuff like that is that what you're striving for yeah for the most part so um it really depends on each recruit and, and the challenge is i can make these generalizations right but the individual mm-hmm. is always a key factor there right mm-hmm. the the trend is we see body fat go down so if i get you know an 18 year old a 22 year old who's got like 10 percent body fat you know it, they're already struggling from a physicality standpoint the, at the end of the day, mass moves mass, right? So for that person, I really have to focus on getting as many calories in as possible and making sure they don't lose too much weight because, and this is all, this is anecdotal. You know, I don't have any evidence to suggest that, but usually once a male recruit gets under 15% body fat, a female recruit gets under 25-ish percent body fat, suddenly it gets a little bit harder for them to throw ladders and lift and actually sustain the activity. And that may be due to the fact they're just simply not eating enough um, or, you know, that they just need that additional mass to, to get through the day. So eating enough is really a key factor there. The transition, once you get into the stations though, is if you stay that really high calorie intake, you're not necessarily doing as much physical, physical work, uh, once you shift into station life. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, you maintain that same volume of eating and things shift quickly. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that there's, this is kind of anecdotal evidence. Is there anybody doing research with firefighters and nutrition? There, there are a few different people. Um, Dr. Anthony Walker out of Australia does a lot with like body temperature and hydration related stuff. We, uh, are currently, uh, so does Fernando Montes. He does, uh, urine specific gravity and actually tracks hydration and has a whole drip drop, uh, which is like liquid IV, like those oral rehydration solution oh, yeah. protocol that he sent over to me and has been, um, very helpful with keeping our recruits hydrated and not feeling like hungover mm-hmm. after some of their burns, you mm. know, that feeling where you feel like you're a raisin and you, yes. you know, headaches, fatigue, yeah. it takes forever to recover from. So that drip drop protocol has been very helpful. Um, but from a caloric standpoint, like I don't, I haven't seen a whole lot of research for specifically recruits or really firefighter. I mean, we can't just grab a researcher to, you know, on a, uh, like a fire that wasn't planned, you know, for our incumbents, we have to kind of go based off of trainings and drills. So we, uh, at Fairfax, we're working on establishing a relationship with George Mason university. And we have some researchers coming in who might put some like, um, 
actographs are basically very fancy Fitbits on our recruits so we can start seeing some of that data um, and giving more specific advice. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because the, not the research piece, but the specific advice, because there's a, I've always felt like, you know, each individual is an experiment of one, right? We all have slightly different variables in our bodies and and factors that affect how our behavior and nutrition is going to roll out on a given day and um, individually. So that's got to make it really challenging for you Um, working for an organization. You know, how do you, you got to start with some general principles and then you narrow it down for the individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, too, when you have like a subject matter expert, cause the problem is a lot of departments will like just say, oh, hey, look, this firefighter's pretty fit. They're our subject matter expert. And <laughs> they clearly know what they're doing. Job, <laughs> yeah. Their job first is to be a firefighter. So that's always going to take precedence, especially when so many departments have staffing deficits at this sure. point in time. Oh, yeah. So that's a whole nother tangent. But um, stay focused. How does that uh, affect nutrition? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Stress so, eating. I'll you tell know, you how it does. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can. I Listen, I, not that I haven't ever experienced stress eating. Not ever. Not me, the dietitian. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it, it, when you have a firefighter, that, first, firefighting is first. But second, like, they can't spend the time to really say, oh, okay, like, I'm focusing on the nutrition aspect of what they're doing right now. Whereas if they're watching recruits and they say, see them throw a ladder wrong, they're focusing on the recruit throwing the ladder wrong. Meanwhile, right. I'm like, that looks right. Okay. Good enough. Um, yeah. but they look like they're struggling right there. So I can kind of get an idea of what I think the cal- caloric requirements are based off of like athletic research, experience, working one-on-one with people. So it, it helps to have that subject matter expert be able to say, hey, my focus is nutrition and hydration. And then, of course, like I'm also a strength coach, so I can pick up on some of that as well. But in Fairfax, my focus is the nutrition piece because we have Jake as our strength coach. Okay. Yeah. I think it's very cool that you have, that your organization has, um, is making that a priority in the health and wellness mm-hmm. of their members. Very cool. Um, you know, yeah, our, our neck of the, time. yeah, our neck of the woods, we have a health center, but nothing, mm-hmm. you know, we do all, we do some, some physical therapy, et cetera. So that's next level in my opinion. That's very cool. Um, yeah. So, so let's talk about that. So you, you become a, you get through your initial training, you get into a firehouse. Some of those firehouses are really, really busy. Some of them are, mm-hmm. are dreadfully slow. Um, how do, how do you address that with, you know, the needs of a firefighter? Cause the demands are, are unpredictable. Yeah. And it's unpredictable too, like from department to department, because part of what my side business is, is providing like a nutrition curriculum for recruits and explaining how things go from beginning, middle and end of an academy nutrition wise. Mm-hmm. And cause what's slow at Fairfax might be busy for some random County in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. Sure. Um, cause we're right outside DC. So we have a pretty high and dense population, uh, and primarily focused on structural, but, right. uh, you know, Busier stations, it can go one of two ways. Uh, I see recruits gain a significant amount of weight because they, you know, they're eating, they're on a medic unit, they're getting really busy, they don't know what to eat, they don't know how to cook. A lot of them don't know how to cook, and that is a whole other tangent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they don't know what to do, so they're grabbing fast food, and at that point, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're not making the best decisions from those fast food decisions. Uh, the station does a lot of brats and tots for dinner or spaghetti and whatever, and they're eating three plates of it and they gain weight. Mm. My hard gainers sometimes go the other way and they actually lose weight because they don't have time and it's hard for them to like either remember to eat or just feel like they can get enough in uh, because it is a transition. I mean, at busier stations, you kind of have to inhale your food or the lady in the ceiling is going to interrupt your meal at least three <laughs> times. And that's that affects people differently. So. Uh-huh. It, it really depends. Basically, what we usually see, it's they're still not quite as active as they were in the academy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and now culturally, they're impacted by what the rest of the shift, how the rest of the shift eats. So depending on who's cooking, if you like to eat healthy and that chef is not on board with, and a, you know, the chef thinks a vegetable is a hush puppy or a tater tot, like that's going to be hard for you as a rookie to make any impact on right Right. yeah so um we see that cultural impact start to impact their to affect uh a a probie or a rookie as they shift into station work Mm. 
So let me. <laughs> so what's your advice to that that young firefighter who who has a handle on their diet and walks into a station and and they're eating garbage? Yeah, I mean, so it it really depends on where you are in that phase. Like some people, they're super gung ho on being healthy, and they would rather, you know, they eat with a shift, but they eat what they brought. So some people would rather eat what they bring. Mm-hmm. If that makes you uncomfortable, my suggestion is, what can you add? What can you add to that meal? So can you bring some salad things, and you take care of the salad, and you know, you make a really nice fancy salad, like a spinach cranberry kind of thing, so that people will try it. Um, can you leave a bag of apples on the counter? You know, what can you add to the meal that's healthier? And because nutrition isn't black or white and I used to do bodybuilding and I learned from that, uh, that that can make you fall off the deep end too. Mm. And nutrition is really a spectrum and you should be able to enjoy burgers and sprouts and tots and those kinds of things. But if that's every day of the week, you're going to fall off a different direction. You know what I mean? So, you should be able to have a little bit of those things. I don't want people to think that they can't have a burger or they can't have a beer and they can't have all those things. It's just, you know, if you're having three platefuls of it, are you really hungry after that second plate is the question that I have. <laughs> and some people might be. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, so, so let me ask you the, when you think about the changes that are taking place. So we got these, you know, we're kind of going down the timeline of a career here, right? You've got these young firefighters and now, you know, they're five, six years in, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're starting to, you know, maybe promote to, to their their driving an apparatus or more comfortable in the firehouse. Like they're settling into their career, um, young families, different stressors like that, right? Kids at home, et cetera. So how do we make that? What, what adjustments are you recommending for folks? So one thing is, is you kind of have to give yourself a degree of grace if you fall off, because what happens is I have recruits who, when I give the presentation at the end of the academy, they're right about to graduate. They think they're going to be fit for the rest of their lives. And maybe they were trainers or, you know, had specialties prior to that. But what they don't factor in is the lifestyle piece of it. Things happen over the course of a five, over five, six, 15, you know, years where divorce, we see divorce a lot in the departments, uh, post-traumatic stress, a lot of them don't realize that that first year can hit them really hard. Uh, post-traumatic stress after they have children. Uh, I had a lieutenant who, after the birth of his second child, ran five pediatric codes 27 days after her birth. So how that hits you, it, it, those pediatric calls hit you so much harder after, after kids. Um, because they start to feel more relevant. So yep. um, injuries, shoulder, back, knee, and neck. We usually see people as they get closer to retirement have all three of those. And if you blow out your shoulder, but your favorite thing was Olympic lifting and power lifting, now you can't do those things anymore. Do you want to start running? Probably. People who do Olympic lifting and power lifting are not very inclined for running no. for the most part. So, you know, things like that start to come up these like landmines of lifestyle factors and that's where people really start to get stressed out which leads to poor food choices lack of time for meal prep um there might be some challenges at home you know we know that shift work can be challenging with children because you have a stay-at-home partner you come home from shift you got your butt kicked and then you're on daddy or mommy daycare the rest of the day like there's that causes a lot of challenges in marriages all of that ends up impacting your food choices Right. So at that point, I usually recommend working with a professional to try and strategize around those pain points um, and and see how we can make nutrition fit, but at a a little bit of a softer approach and a little less like provide some structure, but like don't make them feel like they can never, you know, have cake at their daughter's birthday party or have a beer at a retirement dinner kind of thing. Right. So give me a give me an idea of what what you when you talk about what's the base plan like nutritionally what would you when you recommend like here's here's the types of foods you should be eating and i think i have an idea of what it is but i want to hear hear what your framework is sure so um if you look at all the types of fad diets or just diet protocols out there they pretty much consistently have a lot of things in common they just play around with timing and quantities and types of foods but usually i can kind of 
triage that down to can you get a protein and a plant three meals a day ish depending on what your protocol is so protein and a plant means you know a good protein source like chicken fish seafood nuts seeds soy um, lean beef leaner porks those kinds of things and then a plant would be a, a vegetable or a fruit and i usually don't fight people too much like if it's you hate veggies, like just give me a fruit. I just need a plant. <laughs> I, I, I won't fight you too much on it. Okay. But the reason for that is we know for firefighters, the two health risks are cardiovascular disease and cancer. And it is really easy to say that's not going to happen to me. And then next thing you're 40 year, next thing you know, you're 40 years old, you're in the department, you know, 15, 20 years, and you're starting to see some of the people in your recruit class have issues with those things. So with that, um, the plant piece is so important. I won't, I know better than to make my firefighters vegetarian or vegan. That's how I get set on fire and I don't want to be set on fire. (laughs) So, you know, we have to focus on that plant piece because one, it provides fiber, fruits and veggies provide fiber. That is important for, um, you know, one preventing colon cancer and then also keeping you full, um, it can also help with cholesterol management and blood sugar management. So fiber is really important, but also the antioxidant piece as well. Fruits and veggies, whether they're fresh, frozen, or canned, have certain nutrients that we just can't overlook that are so important to health prevention, um, particularly with cancer and cardiovascular disease. So if I was going to say anything, the biggest gap is for firefighters is not getting enough plants. Can you add those in somehow? Still keep your beets. Just add some plants in. Yeah. What What are the things that you're like, hey, take take this out of your diet? Well, so it depends. <laughs> because um, <laughs> if someone told me that I was never allowed to have ice cream again, it would not be a safe environment for them <laughs> to do so. Um, I have ice cream every night, and it's a portioned amount. I've always been pretty good at, you know, the amount that I – can have and sometimes I don't want it. But I know if someone tells me I'm never allowed to have ice cream again, it's going to turn into one of those bender situations where I can last five days without it and then next thing you know, the carton's gone. And I'm a small female, so that's pretty impressive in my opinion. You know, (laughs) so you want to be careful with saying like you can never have X food again unless there's a medical condition requiring that um, and you're trying to manage symptoms. So for example, Acid reflux and GERD are actually pretty prevalent in fire departments, at least that I've noticed working um, one-on-one with people. And unfortunately, those diets require a a lot of times cutting back on spicy foods, caffeine, chocolate, coffee, uh, spearmint, mint, high-fat foods, lots of foods. And those are like all the foods that firefighters eat. (laughs) So... There's not a whole lot of things that I say hard no to. It just comes down to how frequently are you doing it? What are your goals? And, you know, how, what is that exact quantity? You know, is it a half gallon of ice cream at 7 a.m.? Like, I have a lot of questions if that's what you're going with for breakfast. Right, Um, right. You know, so... Yeah. Not a whole lot of hard passes. Well, I, so what what occurs to me is I, I think that what you're talking about is moderation, right? It's like, yep. hey, you can you can indulge in some of these uh, life's goodnesses in food, right? These these sweet delicatessen, uh, uh, delicate. What was the word I'm looking for? Uh, not delicatessens. <laughs> Delicacies. Delicacies, thank you. <laughs> Which sweet... is often from the delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name, right? I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so, so you know, you can eliminate these things from your life, but I think you're bringing up a good point, which is how sustainable is that in real life? You know, right. um, you know, I know people who are who are very austere in their dieting, and they look amazing. Mm-hmm. They're shredded, mm-hmm. but man, uh, for me personally, like I can't sustain that. Um, I have I have a sweet tooth, and I know I'm not alone in this, right? As I throw my hands up in the air here, I know I'm not alone. So, um, so I I think it's it, the key is how do you get, how do you manage that, right? One of the things for me uh, when I think back over time, uh, coming off shift after getting my head kicked in all shift, um, right? I'm very uh, very prone to carbs. I'll run out and mm-hmm. I'll be on my way home, and I'm like. I'm just going to run in and grab a soda. And usually it's a, I'm like a Coke Zero guy. And then I'm like, and a candy bar and a donut or whatever, because it just, whatever this, this craving for carbohydrates. Um, sure. And, 
you know, knowing full well, very knowledgeable about what I should and shouldn't be eating, but yet I can't, I can't monitor myself or can't regulate myself effectively in those tough situations. And I think that's a trap that we've already like, going, Hey, this one time I'm going to have a donut. But then that shift yeah. after shift after shift where the morning after I'm, gar- I'm eating garbage. Yeah. And that's, and it, it is a challenge because it never really scratches the itch a lot of times for some people. Sometimes what they really need is sleep or stress management or exercise. Um, and, they kind of overdo it and then they feel guilty and it just becomes this whole cycle. So I think like what you're getting at is like sweet tooths are huge. A lot of people have a sweet tooth. I have a sweet tooth. I'm pretty sure I ate straight sugar when I was a child. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's built into tooth, our DNA as human beings, honestly. Sure. Sure. Well, sometimes I have people who are more like salty or fatty, like cheese, like cheese heads mm. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so I usually have people fall into two categories, either, um, but usually sweets, a lot of times when people are sleep deprived is what they want to go for. So with sweet tooth management, you know, again, like I said, if I tell people to cut out sweets entirely, it's usually unrealistic um, because that's a comfort food for them. It's a craving, you know, it's hard to avoid cravings entirely. And it, it usually leads to overdoing it later on. Right. So I have someone right now who loves sweets and, you know, he has a young family and working full time or doing the 24 hour shifts and that kind of thing. And the, our role is he gets one sweet a day. You know, <laughs> he used to do a ton of sweets, right? Cause it's very easy, especially at stations when communities drop stuff off and they drop the cookie oh, yeah. lady dropped off her cookies. Again, the girl scouts are coming by you know, all of these things that kind of end up and pile up on the counters, you know, you pick it up three, four or five times throughout the day because of calls. And sometimes you don't even know you're doing it, especially at 4 a.m. Yeah. Uh, so one sweet a day for him was reasonable. Now, one sweet a day for my super shredded, you know, guy who's about to jump on stage for a physique composition, that's probably not going to work for him, Right. But it's a great stepping stone for people who know they end up digging into the gummy bears four times a day to transition into trying to do one sweet a day. So, the And br- for that guy – sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, so for that guy, like he just got back from a vacation at Disney World where, hello, sweets <laughs> are everywhere. And he's like, I didn't feel like I had to deprive myself. Actually, I did way better than I thought I would. I, I maybe did one sweet a day, and there were days where I didn't do sweets at all. So for him, that was a very effective way, and he's lost about five to 10 pounds. That was a very effective way for him to, you know, ease into a healthier lifestyle with a little bit less sugar, but not punishing himself for it. So we don't need to punish ourselves over foods that we love. Right. Yeah. So, so how do we regulate, right? Do we, is there a kind of a, uh, a prescription, if you will, of, of this much protein. So I know people count macros and count calories and do different things. So from your perspective, is there a way to manage intake for an individual? So, you know, you have someone who's trying to lose weight, for example, you say, all right, we, this is what you need to be doing a in the gym. You got to be working now. That's, that's a constant and you got to be training. And then when it comes to, you know, but I will say this talking to different people who like do bodybuilding and stuff like that. The number one thing to change body composition is diet. That's what I've been told. Yes. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. Oh no, there's no, I mean, I used to do bodybuilding. I don't look like it now. Now I'm just skinny. <laughs> um, and I was like the very low levels of basically just looking very tight. Right. But you can crush it in the gym, but if you're not eating right, nothing's going to, you're not going to have the effect you want. So, right. So you how do you have a calorie deficit and it's hard to just do that eating unsupervised. <laughs> okay. So how do you manage that? Sure. So here's the thing. Um, my fitness pal is what I usually use for most of my my patients, clients, whatever you call them, yeah. if I'm working with them one-on-one, just because a lot of firefighters like having some accountability. And it can be frustrating at first because it's like if someone made lasagna, like do I have to put in every single – no, you don't have to put in every like, – like, I've used that happen. app. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and they're like, oh, my God, like I didn't know how to log the lasagna that so-and-so made on shift. And it's like, dude, just like pick the one that's like – in the middle calorically and just call it a day. Guesstimate right. how much you ate, go from there. But a lot of times, as soon as they start using that that food log, they're regulating it better. They're like, holy crap, that lasagna had, was a thousand calories for the portion I had, and I'm only supposed to eat 
2,500 today. Right. So, and I was going to go get seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it, it helps regulate them. However, there's a catch with that. That doesn't work for everyone. So for me, when I was bodybuilding and I was logging, that like if I touch a, a my fitness pal log, it's going to make me go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like my mental health will just go way in the in the crapper. So, right. you know, you kind of have to pay attention. If, if it's making you worked up about it and you're seeing these kind of disordered patterns and stress and you know, you go over and you blow out, then it's not for you. And that's something that I think a lot of people overlook. They just try and force themselves to do it. So right. it's not necessary, but it's a great tool for people to just, especially if they don't have access to a dietitian, to see where they are. Um, in terms of a formula, the things that I would suggest focusing on if you choose to log is hit your calories, hit your protein, hit your fiber, call it a day. And I don't focus on carbs or fat. The reason I don't nitpick on carbs or fat is because, one, station meals tend to fluctuate, right? Like mm. some days they're higher carbs, some days they're higher fat, some days they're a mix of both. And um, also, personal preference is a big factor in consistency. So when you look at the research on does a high-carb diet work better than a high-fat diet and so mm. forth, mm-hmm. when – Calories and protein are kept the same in a group of people. The high-carb people lose just as much weight as the low-carb group. So what that means is it comes down to how consistent can you be with that dietary protocol. Mm. So especially when I have people starting off, I a lot of times, one, getting down to the calories that they need to be, which – I have some suggestions for you to get to that. But one, getting down to the calories that they need to be at is is hard enough. Protein, usually my firefighters don't have a problem hitting the protein because that's what they tend towards, except if they're vegetarian. And fiber is a big gap as well. So that's hard enough for them. Like It's hard enough for them to focus on what they're eating and hitting those numbers and all of those things. For me to add carbs and fat into that is a lot for the first week, you know? Right, right. So let's so, talk, so how so how do we let's talk about calories then like what what is an appropriate amount are you using how do you get there Sure so um <laughs> the first thing that firefighters tend to do usually they come to me either to lose body fat or gain muscle with most firefighters coming to me to lose body fat Okay The knee jerk reaction for a lot of firefighter is 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 how much can I drastically cut my calories to see the fat I want to get there possible. today <laughs> Yeah. I wanted this yesterday. Like I'm uncomfortable and trust me, I get it. Yeah. Like if you're, if you just suddenly realize that your, your, you know, class A uniform is about to bust a button, like (laughs) (laughs) it's very uncomfortable and it's embarrassing and it can, you know, really uh, hurt emotionally, especially if you used to be that thick guy or girl. And now suddenly, you know, either you had a baby male or female because dad's gained the weight (laughs) just as much. Yeah, we do. You know, it, it, it hits you like a ton of bricks and it's like, I need to change this now. I need 20 pounds off in the next month. And the problem is when people do that knee jerk reaction and cut their calories by a thousand calories or more, it, it can create a very disordered eating pattern and they tend to overdo it on the, the weekends or their day off. And they can't, they can get the weight off quickly, but they can't sustain that after. Because as soon as they're done, they hit their goal, boom, the, get, the weight comes back in spades. So usually, um, if you're curious about calories, and like I said, you don't have to track calories to see progress. I've, I've helped several firefighters lose weight without tracking everything they eat, but it helps. In my fitness pal, or if you use a calorie tracker a counter on the internet, because Mifflin St. George is usually the equation that dietitians will start with if we have you know, body fat, we might use a different one, but usually you're only trying to start with a deficit about 500 calories. So for most of my firefighters, I rarely put them under 2,500, sometimes under 3,000 if they're really tall and active, because if I put them at 1,800, first of all, 1,200 is not even in the ballpark. If you're doing a 1,200 calorie diet as a firefighter, like, I'm sorry for whoever put that, put you on that, but that's just too low. Um, you know, we're, we're starting with a very moderate deficit, and the goal is uh, 0.5 to 1 pound per week, 
which is really only two to four pounds per month to right. sustainably see progress from body fat and not from muscle. Right. Sorry, I geeked out a little bit there. I hope yeah. that wasn't too much. No, I'm doing I'm trying to run the numbers in my head. So <laughs> Yeah, so, so you put your tracker in and you say, Hey, my fitness pal, I want to lose a half a pound to a pound yeah. per week. Any more than that is gonna be very hard to sustain. Yeah. So do you recommend kind of establishing your caloric intake based on your basal, meta, basal metabolic rate? If you have the access to that. So like, of course, in Fairfax, we're super spoiled. We have the in-body machines that biological impedance machines that oh. tell um, firefighters their muscle mass and their body fat percentage and yeah. their basal metabolic rate. Um, if you figure out your basal metabolic rate, you're probably not going to eat underneath that. Right. Because even moderate shifts are doing more walking, especially in Fairfax. We do a ton of trainings and drills. Right. You know? Yeah. It, you're going to be way higher than the, the nine to fiver. Right. Right. But I think it's important as a factor because think about the, the person who comes off of a truck for an injury or whatever. Like, hey, mm-hmm. red flag, you got to make an adjustment. Right. Like things have changed. And I think it's important to be aware of where you're like, what is your intake when you're at your highest level of activity versus, um, you know, you take a staff assignment and suddenly your level of activity goes down to nil, you know, and like we can all agree right. that keyboarding uh, and sending some emails does not <laughs> constitute activity. Um, no. And it's hard though, because mentally you're like, oh my God, I'm drained because day work, what a lot yeah. of firefighters don't realize like 24 hour work is grueling and it sucks and you don't get sleep. And if you run three calls after midnight, that sucks. And it's definitely worse than day work, but day work actually sucks the life out of you in a whole nother way. That's true. Preach, <laughs> you know, and especially Preach, if you're not sister. doing what you want. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, well, and it's interesting. So there's, there's, so that's a, that speaks to this idea or this component of the stress element, right? Our stress in our lives, uh, whether we're being chased by a lion or not, um, the, the, the physiological effect is the same. So I think that's important to understand that you have to be monitoring your body and your health and wellness, whether you're running into burning buildings or not, um, you know, cause working in staff, while it's not as physically exerting, there are still stressors in your life, um, that, that affect you and can be, Absolutely. can affect you metabolically and affect your diet. So let me, so let me ask you this. When you, we have folks who are, you get them on the right prescription for a diet, right? Hey, this is what you should be targeting for your calories. Um, we didn't talk really about protein. How do you, what do you target for protein? Sure. So for protein now, this is where we can get really nerdy and I'm going to try not to go down that rabbit hole because as a former bodybuilder, like there's a lot of really gets granular. <laughs> yeah, I can I can lose my mind over this. So if I was going to simplify it for the general population, because most people don't think in kilograms, and that's usually how we would calculate um, protein requirements in kilograms based on the person's goal. And there are so many nuances with that. Yeah. But to summarize, if you wanted to, you know, a standard American wanted to calculate out their protein, I would say point five, uh, point seven to one gram per pound. With most people starting out at point seven grams per pound so Hold I'm on. let me small. clear let me let me add a, a nuanced wrinkle to that mm-hmm. uh, per, uh, 0.7 per pound of target body weight or actual body weight so that depends if I have someone who's you know 50 to 100 pounds overweight then we're probably gonna go with either tar- like their target body weight because like once it gets over 200 grams of protein per day for some of my larger dudes I'm like okay yeah. like that's a lot you probably don't quite need that much and it's going to start eating into other nutrients like, like carbs and fat that come with vitamins and minerals and things like that right and it's hard to get there without supplementation so that's where you know I always say stick to the lower end and you're probably doing fine the recommended daily allowance for just general population for preventing deficiency is 45 grams per day, male or female. Okay. So, you know, it, if you're, it, it's kind of play around with it, see where you are. Maybe 0.7 is too much for you. That's where a professional would come in. And this is also to clarify for that. 
This is for a healthy individual with no pre-existing conditions like liver or kidney issues. Right. So, you know, this is where working with a, a, a dietitian would be important if you do have one of those conditions because with those conditions, we will reduce it. High protein intakes don't cause those conditions, which the internet likes to promote. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, if, if you have a pre-existing condition like that, too much protein can be an issue. But in general, 0.7 grams per pound is where I mostly start, where I start most people. Um, for most females, that puts them between 100 to 130, 150 grams per day. 150 grams is kind of a lot, depends on the person. And for most guys, between 130 and 180 grams per day. Yeah. Yeah. So what I love about what you're talking about here, which is funny to me, is, is that this is where it gets difficult because people are like, well, they, they try different, they just experiment on their own and right. don't necessarily capture the results that they're hoping for. Um, and I, you know, I'm in a perfect example of this. I've done all different types of athletics over the years and I'm always tinkering with what I'm eating. And, oh, and I, I just said to my wife the other day, I go, I need to reduce my carbs because that's when I was my healthiest. <laughs> and mm-hmm. just this random, I just, I'm like, this is what I need to do because I'm, you know, I need to redirect my health and wellness. And so, um, so all of us, I think this is where getting support from someone like yourself who can actually help them, you know, you talk about preexisting conditions and, 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 um, the, the question I had for you, which I'll, I'll touch on here, but you talk about the metabolic components that are outside of your physical activity and diet. Like what are the, you know, the stress hormones and things like that, that are affecting your body composition and your, your, you know, you need to speak to that and having, a uh, an aide de camp come and support you, uh, give you some guidance and direction, a subject matter expert who can truly help you dial it in, I think is important. Absolutely. And I do want to touch on this too. Um, and this is, I think the story is kind of important for recommending diets to people that you don't know any background on. Mm-hmm. Um, so my grandfather has end stage or he's not quite on dialysis yet. I think he was like stage three, stage four kidney disease. And that freaks my whole family out. My uncle's very into, he's a triathlete and he loves health and fitness and supplements and those kinds of things. Yeah. So he's like, you know, Hey, I'm going to help you out. Um, here's some protein powder. I really want you to try this protein powder. Cause if you did this for breakfast, it would help you. Hmm. Well, what he didn't realize is with end stage renal disease or stage, you know, in stage three or stage four, we actually reduce the protein intake there and having too much protein could actually cause problems because his, my grandfather's kidneys would not be able to process any excess. Right. So what a lot of people don't realize is when you just say, hey, dude, look, I'm on this carnivore diet. Dude, you should totally do it. That's a way to lose weight. There's no carbs, all meats. That could cause issues for someone who might have like an iron disorder where they have way too much iron uh, and suddenly they start eating a ton of red meat. That could cause the, make the issue so much worse. So dietary protocols have a huge medical component that people often overlook. And while you might have a good intention to help out ex-shift mate, if they have a medical condition, they need to work with a dietitian who can provide medical nutrition therapy. Not a nutritionist, not some random holistic doctor, not a strength coach, a dietitian. Those are the people who are licensed and able to do that. Perfect. Sorry, that was a tangent. Good. PSA. <laughs> NPSA there. <laughs> Poof. No, that's important though because we there we're surrounded by social media and we're surrounded yeah. by good good intended, well intended friends who who had great success on their own, uh, doing a certain protocol or whatever. Like I said, experiment of one. And so that anecdotal evidence, they go, Yeah, and and I can think so many different times when I've looked at a friend, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Because you're hitting the mark. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Or even, you know, um, you know, like you said, the friend who's like, hey, I've been trying this thing and they're zealot about it now and they're selling it to you. And you're like, yeah, I, I want to try that. Um, right. Yeah. And I so, think with the selling piece too, a lot of firefighters get into Octavia and Isogenics and Nutrisystem including my father, who as soon as he paid $100,000 for my education, went on Nutrisystem. Um, You know, the problem with that, you have to question, if you read a book by X doctor, or you buy Octavia, or you buy Herbalife, or whatever, if your health coach is there to sell you a product, they're not a health coach. Their Their interest is to get you to purchase more product, 
not in your general health. It might be to a degree. Maybe they do care to an extent. But their main goal is to get you to purchase more product. So with those programs, a lot of times, like just eating six protein bars a day is not going to work as a firefighter. Skipping a bunch of meals is not going to work as a firefighter for most people. So just be careful when your health coach is there to sell you X amount of supplements, X amount of protein bars, and all of those things. It shouldn't cost you hundreds of dollars a month to be healthy. And if it does, I hope you're getting your meals prepped by a chef and you're paying for a personal trainer or some other specialist. Right. Yeah. The I, I, I From my perspective, it there's so much that can be accomplished with whole foods. And yeah. that seems to be like we seem to overlook that word. The whole foods are great. But I want to focus on what's easy. It will, and there's another thing that drives us toward this. I believe is, you talked about uh, we, we there's a lack of bandwidth in our lives. We get so busy with mm-hmm. with stuff going on, activities, and you know different phases of our life have different draws on our time, and so right. it's difficult to do food food prep and meal prep. And I, I wrote a note down here. You mentioned earlier said learning how to cook, and mm-hmm. so it makes me think about the the concern with how do you prep whole foods? You know, clearly eating whole foods is what's best for us overall. It's what people have been doing for a gazillion years now. And, 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 but carving out the time to do that, but what do you recommend? Sure. So the other thing is too, I, I, I love the whole foods piece and I think that's really important, but with this population, sometimes like the whole fresh foods from the farmer's market isn't convenient. Right. Like if you have four kids and uh, our commute and your spouse also works and you're doing 24 hours plus overtime or mandatory overtimes and those kinds of things, suddenly you don't have time to process all those foods and actually cook every single meal. So don't discount if if the fresh whole foods is not possible for you, don't discount frozen. Frozen is often picked at the peak of freshness and then frozen there. Uh, whereas some of the fresh food at the grocery store, like it might've sit, sit on a truck, like maybe not even temperature controlled truck for a couple of days, if not weeks before it's actually made it to where you buy it. So don't discount the frozen piece. Same with canned, um, canned, of course, we want to go lower sodium and, uh, even rinse. If you can rinse beans or like green beans and those kinds of things that are canned, you can actually reduce the sodium by like, I think about 15%. So don't discount those things, and that also makes it a little bit cheaper and easier. Now, with the cooking side of things, um, so it's hard to learn how to cook, especially if you grew up in a family who, like, didn't cook. You know, if, if, if your mom or dad, you know, just grabbed fast food and that was the easiest, it's hard for you to transition into suddenly cooking all of your meals because it's hard to learn a new skill. We always like cooking is hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. You have to do the dishes. The tomato sauce ends up on the ceiling. You accidentally cut yourself with a knife. It becomes a whole <laughs> thing. So my suggestion is one, especially if you're a rookie or a probie, like cook with whoever's the chef on shift every time. See if you can help them prep and learn how to prep because you have a huge opportunity to get free cooking lessons from that person on duty. Right. They're always going to there's all you're for the most part always going to be cooking. Now, granted, if you're on the medic unit, that might not be possible. So just (laughs) Um, the second best thing. Now, granted, this comes with a cost is things like HelloFresh Blue Apron, where they actually just deliver the meals to you. And they have a whole picture guide of how to actually prep that food and videos and everything. So they make it really easy, and there's plenty of discounts available to make that semi-affordable. They also teach you portion control, which is hard right. <laughs> for a lot of firefighters. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're a probie or a rookie who's dating, go to a cooking class with whoever you're dating. You know, um, that's an opera, or even a friend. Those are opportunities for you to learn, um, and you don't have to, you don't have to spend a ton of money, but it will have some costs with that. So. Uh, and the last and, thing I do want to mention, oh, sorry. No, I was going to throw um, out there YouTube. Like there's so much yeah. available media out there that you can glom onto. And um, I was trying to cook steaks the other day and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try and pan fry a steak, which I hadn't done in forever. I watched a YouTube video. Yeah. It was amazing. And I was oh, like, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's, and they're not long. They're very quick. They're yeah. high quality now. YouTube is yeah. amazing. Now, like 
my husband got a smoker during the pandemic and taught himself how to use the smoker. There you go. So don't discount, you know, YouTube now. Now, granted, please don't get your nutrition information from YouTube because that's the Wild West. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, look, look up cooking. There's so many free options available to learn. It's just do you have the time? Now, um, the other thing that I have available is I have a free recipe book. So if you're learning to cook for stations or you cook for stations, you want healthier options. The recipe book breaks it down to shifts of 6, 10, and 14, costs it out to 5 to $6 a head, uh, half a pound of protein per person, and they're healthy-ish. So like healthier Cajun chicken pasta, yeah. healthier spaghetti. And that I've found has been really well received with a lot of departments because especially as a rookie or a probie, trying to fit those metrics, even as a, someone who's established, quite frankly, it's hard Yeah. <laughs> when you're cooking for a station. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I struggled with, you know, I learned how to cook in the firehouse and I started bringing those meals home and right. and and I couldn't figure out how to cook small meals <laughs> for just a small yeah. family. I'd the cook these part. giant trays of enchiladas and I'm like, oh, nuts, might have overshot here. So learning how to scale your cooking uh, and then, of course, you know, this is a little bit back a little while ago, but you know we were cooking very rich, very high fat, very high calorically right. dense meals um, in the firehouse. Which on which brings me to a question I have. But off duty, I didn't need to be eating that. So while it was fun mm-hmm. to come home and be like, "Look what I can do! <laughs> I learned this great recipe." The the reality was is I didn't need to be eating that food all the time. Um, right. So do you find this is a question I have? Off duty versus on duty. Um, is there a way to regulate better? The question yeah, makes sense. So it, yeah. Yeah. I, you mean like the quality of the foods that you cook or that kind of thing? Yeah, I guess that's, I guess it's really kind of a no brainer, right? When you go off duty, you, now you have full control of what you're doing. Correct. And sometimes you don't because if you have a spouse who is not going to eat vegetables, no matter how much you press, <laughs> that becomes a whole nother thing. Yeah. Right. Or true. kids, you know, if your kids are on a mac and cheese kick, like, you know, sometimes you just have to survive, right? So in general, like in an optimal scenario, yeah, you, you know, you would try, and at least, again, protein in a plant, that's the easiest, the, the way I can, you know, triage this the best is yeah. to say, get a protein, get a plant with your meal, and then you're good. Um, ideally, we would also have like a healthy carb and a healthy fat in there, but if the only two things that you can hit is the plants and the protein. You're good to go. I love it. That's the a, other side. Simple. Sorry. No, no. I love simple. it. Simple. Other side. Yes. The other side of that too is um, if you hate cooking and you are only going to do Grubhub and fast food, which I have a lot of people who do this. And, and a lot of times you can't really discount it too much because these are people who grew up with parents who either cooked for them or never cooked for them. They ate out a lot. Um, or maybe they're a divorcee and their spouse did all the cooking and grocery shopping. They work a ton of overtime. And then by the time they actually get home, the fridge is just ketchup and peanut butter. (laughs) You know, they're convincing them to suddenly start cooking is probably not the first place to go. But I also usually know they're already spending 10 to $15 or more for a meal. And there are programs now, like meal prep programs, like uh, in our area, it's Territory, Mighty Meals, and Freshly, where they will actually deliver chef-prepared meals to your house in a meal-prepped container, fresh, never frozen, that have a pretty good macronutrient profile. There's always a veggie. There's a good amount of protein. And it's like healthier tacos and steak and salmon and mashed potatoes and that is a great way for you to not have to prep. Now, of course, that comes with a cost. Right. But if you're already spending it in fast food, it eliminates that decision when you're cranky and tired. Right. You already have it there. Right. No, it's smart. It's smart to think about the the those are variables like um, that we don't all think about, and you have to broaden your your spectrum. Now, we can't all just prep food all week and go shopping for fresh groceries. This is going to sound dumb, but even for me, a transition when I went from working on shift to working in staff, I I, I was like, how the hell do people grocery shop once a week? Mm-hmm. Like, like I need to be able to go on the on on a Wednesday. I like, I don't have time for this. Um, 
it's really an interesting transition. And my wife and I, she's like, what? Because I was doing all the cooking. And she's like, what right. is happening right now? Why why don't we have any f- meals to eat? And uh, so, you know, having learning how to kind of work around that has been a real challenge. So well, that's a, a great, another option is Instacart. I don't know if you've ever tried Instacart. No, what's that? But, so it's a grocery delivery service. And I, at least in larger metropolitan areas, um, I think it's pretty popular now. And they will actually deliver your groceries for you. Mm. Like I can shop at Aldi and I guess Aldi's the main store I go to here. Okay. And, or Giant or Food Lion or whatever. I order my groceries, whatever, through the website or the app. And they deliver to my house at a specific time or within an hour or two. And it's about, so for a hundred or so dollars of groceries, it's usually about $10 in delivery fees and uh, tip and all of that. Right. But that, I'm at a point, at least personally in my career, where I don't, I can't really afford that hour. So contracting that service out, it's worth the $10. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I'm not prepping my meals and I'm supposed to be the professional. (laughs) Get us a good example, friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes you have to contract out some of those services, including cleaning services. Um, I finally sprung for a cleaning service and it has been amazing because I don't want to spend three hours, you know, twice a month cleaning my microwave and my stuff, but it comes at a cost. So not everybody can do that. It is a luxury. It is a privilege, but it's something to think about if you have the funds available to do so. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's important to talk about that because you're talking about what can you do to, to, utilize your time more effectively and if your bandwidth is limited you don't have any slack um, is that one less thing you can do that can open you up to go work out or allow you the the ability to food prep because when you come home your fridge will have fresh food in it you know and so you don't have to spend that time grocery shopping you can actually spend that time doing some cooking um, or whatever or however that looks or even you know using a meal prep service that provides you with the meals hey if they if your lifestyle uh, warrants it that makes sense so it's important to look at that from all those different perspectives right right and the grocery delivery is actually reasonably affordable you know paying yeah. an ad- and also when i go to aldi like sometimes i end up coming home with a water slide and i don't have any <laughs> children so like it eliminate if i eliminate one impulse purchase i've paid for that <laughs> right there it is right yeah and how many times when we go shopping if we go shopping hungry we buy things that are probably not in our best interest um you know from a health perspective you know it's not always uh, we're not regulating very well when we see all those goodies in the store right so that's helpful exactly. too all right we sold it we sold it <laughs> i'm down I'm down. Hey, so let me ask you some some rapid fire questions as we pull this to a close. Sure. So what's what's something that you believe that other people think is crazy? Uh, consistency is the key factor in health and fitness. Nice. What's, like consistency and sticking to something. What's one bad recommendation that you've heard people give over and over? That every fad diet can work for everyone <laughs> and you should just suck it up so that you can make it work. Okay. Conversely, what is a good piece of advice you've heard people give? Uh, just like any sort of slow, specific advice to that individual. Uh, and that can be, you know, variable. So, you know, uh, can you have one more vegetable or can you have a piece of fruit or those kinds of things that are a little bit more reasonable for whatever that person's goal is nice okay what's your favorite meal of all time that's a good question i really when sometimes my husband smokes a pork mm. and that is a wonderful experience <laughs> uh, it sounds delicious now i'm hungry it's almost lunchtime here yeah i know i <laughs> all right so uh, as you know this podcast is called fireground fitness and so this mm-hmm. is a kind of a global statement, but what does fireground, what does it mean to be fireground fit to you? Well, I think it's as fit as you can be for where you are and the injuries that you have that you've developed over the course of your career career. Uh, and sometimes that changes. So I think it's just doing the best with what you can. And if that means you can hit five to six workouts a week, great. But if you can only do two right now and three sessions of physical therapy, I think that counts as fitness as well. It might not be perfect, but again, we're going for, 
as best as you can and doing your best. I love that. That's perfect. So Megan, I know you have a social media presence and, uh, you know, if people want to follow you on social media or, or see what you're up to next and, and what you got coming down the pipeline, where, or get more information from you and, and, uh, where would they go to get that information? Sure. So, um, I have an Instagram and Facebook at rescue.rd and I post a lot of infographics that are specifically tailored to firefighters and nutrition and um, my website rescuerd.com has a free recipe book and a list of services if you would like a contracted dietitian for your department. Right on. Well, Megan, really appreciate what you're doing for firefighters. I think it, it it's it's uncharted territory and one of those things that you know for our overall health we really need to lean into. Really appreciate the work that you're doing and um, and thank you so much for sharing your time and talents with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Right on. Hey, that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and sharing some of your time and listening to our guest, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Uh, If you are enjoying this podcast, get on over to your favorite platform, subscribe, and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night, ready for your listening pleasure on your way, on your next commute, on your next trip out of town, whatever. Also, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review that will uh, point people in the direction of this podcast if they're looking for uh, to improve their listening pleasure uh, and to edify and grow and change their life then obviously this is where they want to spend their time so rate and review the podcast share your feedback that helps us grow the podcast platform and further on a more important note the lessons that you learned here today listening to megan the elements of nutrition they are critical to your long-term health We all need to take a little bit of what she said, apply it in our life, and live a better life. Go on out there and get some.